3: hello and welcome to wiki politiki a show designed to bring right and left front and center to turn the funk into function and leave the junk at the junction at a time when so much political discourse is heat without light, WikiPolitiki shines the light of love and truth on the endarkened corridors of power and then brings leading solutionaries into conversation to light the way forward together. Your host is Steve Behrman, author, comedian, and political and spiritual uncommentator. You might know Steve as his cosmic comic alter ego, Swami Beyond Ananda, or as the author of a more serious book with cellular biologist Bruce Lipton, Spontaneous Evolution. If you recognize that crisis precipitates evolution, and judging by the current crises, the chances of precipitation are 100%, this show is for you. Welcome to the Evolutionary Upwising. Now, here is your host, Steve Behrman.
2: well hello there and welcome welcome back to wiki Politiki conversations for co-creation where we shed light on the undarkened corridors of power and we shine a light ahead of us to where evolution is leading purpose of wiki Politiki is to bring left and right front and center to face the music and dance together to address problems instead of defending positions <clears throat> well after a two-month tour of the usa taking the pulse of the body politic and the good news is we still have one we're back with wiki Politiki radio more committed than ever before to an evolutionary uprising to put love and wisdom in the driver's seat as we collectively participate in the greatest reality show of all time reality now those of us who recognize the patterns of evolution see that change isn't something that's imposed from the top down, but generally emerges from the bottom up. And when we think about the, uh, the surprise movements of the past 10 or 15 years, like the Tea Party and Occupy Trump campaign, the Bernie Sanders campaign, the Yellow Vest movement in France, we see that when individuals coalesce voluntarily and spontaneously, history can be changed. Well, our guest this week, Uh, On Wikipolitik, Rob Call has been studying this phenomenon for years and his new book, The Bottom-Up Revolution, Mastering the Emerging World of Connectivity, is based on interviews with innovators from all fields that show convincingly that this is how change does take place and how change is taking place right now. Even more importantly, he offers pathways for cultivating this bottom-up approach and in the process offers a prescription for overgrowing our current dysfunctional systems. Rob Cole is an award-winning journalist, inventor, software architect, connector, and visionary. His articles and articles about him have been featured in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, CNN, ABC, Huffington Post, Success, Discover, and elsewhere. He's given talks and workshops to Fortune 500 executives and national medical and psychological organizations. He also pioneered uh, first-of-their-kind conferences in positive psychology, brain science, and story. He hosts Evolutionaries, Solutionaries, and Innovators on his bottom-up radio show, and he founded and publishes one of the top Google-ranked progressive news and opinion sites, Op-Ed News. I've known Rob for almost 20 years since uh, we appeared at his Future Health Conference uh, in Palm Springs many years ago. So welcome, Rob.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
2: Great. Great. It's perfect Um, for for these times. So let's just jump right in. The bottom-up revolution. What is this bottom-up revolution, and why is it important?
1: Well, the, the bottom-up revolution is is a return to the way people were before civilization, and this was a discovery that that I I, I didn't realize when I first got into bottom up. Uh, you know, the, the, you know what is bottom up? Bottom up, is, you know, you refer to a lot of different grassroots uprisings and, and activities. Uh, So grassroots is is probably one of the most common ways that that people think about bottom-up as well as wisdom of the crowd and crowdfunding and crowdsourcing. But what I discovered was humans evolved to be bottom-up over millions of years. For most of human existence, we lived as hunter-gatherer bands of 30 to 80 people. And people evolved with literally hundreds of genes to be more sensitive to how everybody in the band was functioning, to think about them, to make decisions based on other people and, and on the nature that surrounded them. They We developed mirror neurons so that we could have empathy, and we developed nervous systems that enabled us to feel uh, and be sensitive to other people. And then civilization came along with top-down ways, like domination and centralization and hierarchy, and a lot of the best parts of our bottom-up natures were repressed, and they have been for gener- many generations. And, I mean, civilization started about 10,000 years ago, but for much of the world, it only showed up 500 years ago. And so What's happened is that the Internet, smartphones, and video games have catalyzed a return to bottom-up so that people who have been marinated most of their lives in video games, smartphones, and the Internet, I'd say people born after 1980, they've developed different brains than people born before 1980. And that's a revolution and it's changing everything. Uh, It's produced trillions of dollars in new business, and it's wiped out complete industries. And every business has to learn how to understand how bottom-up has changed their business and and the way that business is done. And it's changed the way people relate to each other. I'm really excited about it. I think it's a wonderful thing, because what it means is we're getting back to our original humanity some of the best parts of which were lost when civilization
2: came. Isn't it interesting that the epitome of civilization, which is technology, seems to have enabled this bottom-up revolution? How has uh, smartphones and all of these uh, video games and all of these things, how have they changed our brains to be more bottom-up?
1: Well, let's let's take – let take phones. Okay, texting. Texting allows people to be communicating with multiple people simultaneously. And uh, young people, people born uh, who who grew up with texting, I'd say starting in, in in the early 21st century, late 1990s, early 2000s, they they that's a one that's a many to many kind of a way of connecting. Uh, uh, that's that's an example of a way to think differently about how to relate to people. Uh, I, I, the Internet has empowered people in incredible ways. Uh, basically, the old way of power was nation states and very wealthy people had power. And now, if you're a kid with a smartphone, you can start a YouTube channel and reach millions of people, and you can become very powerful. And it's really changed the nature of power. Uh, Video games uh, have become these massive multiplayer games that are online, and a a teenager can lead a a group of 200 people uh, who who are much older than him, and it's just changed the balance of of all of that, and I I believe it's unleashed a lot of this bottom-up nature of us, this, this openness to connect in new and different ways. And, you know, the other side of it is technology has cut into our connection in many ways. You know, I I think it started a long time ago. I think we used to live uh, and in the evening we would go out on the porch and we'd hang out with our neighbors and talk face-to-face and then air conditioning and color TV came along and everybody went inside and we got disconnected in so many ways. Uh, And I think that these new technologies have enabled new ways for us to connect and they can lead us to screen addiction, which causes disconnection, but they can also lead us to finding new people and finding new groups that we normally might not find because they were hard to find and maybe not next to us next door.
2: You know, I've, uh, I've always appreciated your work uh, with Op-Ed News, uh, you know, as a, as, a, as a progressive news site. You know, you've very much been immersed in uh, political awareness and so on. What do you see the bottom-up revolution relationship to um, uh, our politics now and in the future?
1: I think that we have to take our power. Power has become centralized, and we have to take it back. We have to own it. We have to increase our senses of self-agency, and that is something that we've been beaten down and kind of discouraged from believing that we can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like like look at if you look at Bernie Sanders, he's raising money uh, three dollars or twenty-seven dollars at a time. Uh, some of the old style candidates are still going for the big money and the big donors. I think that we have to learn and believe that we can do things ourselves. We have power and that we as the people can build that power and take that power. And until we do, we will be oppressed. We live in a culture that is an oppressive culture that tells us basically that we can't do much, and the mainstream media gives us that message. And we have to believe that we have incredible power if we just get together and work together. And it doesn't take that much time to do that, either. And that applies to everybody. We have to break down the biggest systems, the biggest powers that are out there. You know, I I write in my book, Bottom-Up Revolution, we need to get rid of billionaires. You know, I've been saying it since 2012. It's been great in the last year to hear from AOC and Bernie Sanders and and Elizabeth Warren, but Tom Hartman, our our friend Tom Hartman and I, uh, we've been talking about it for, for years, and we need to do that, and it's not just billionaires. We need to get rid of the biggest companies, and we have to make it so that it's not worth being that big anymore. That means that we have to reward smaller businesses. When it comes, like for agriculture, for example, there are like three companies that control most of the food in this country, and that's crazy, and we have to get rid of it. And the way you get rid of it is you make it so that it is no longer attractive to, to be big. So we have to create laws that make it more expensive, more difficult, to, to be big and make it more attractive to stay small. And I, I really believe that we can do it. It's the way people were for a long time. Now, you know, I talked to a year or two ago, I talked to a Wharton uh, Business School grad, and he said, well, you need big to do really big things. And I think that what you need is a lot of people working together in different ways. and. I think that that it's possible to do that without making these huge institutions. And and what's interesting is, although I'm a progressive, and I I lean pretty far left, the opposition to bigness is something that both sides of the aisle share in different ways. I mean, conservatives, they don't like big government, uh, but they do like big militaries and actually i think most democrats like big militaries as well as big government i think we need to get rid of all of those things we need to get figure out how to make
0: okay round 2 name something that's not boring
2: a laundry ooh a book club computer solitaire huh
0: ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: Small happen a lot more. We need to have, as one author has written about, we need to develop massive small.
2: Massive small. That That's really a wonderful, uh, perfect uh, contradiction and irony. Speaking of contradictions and ironies, you know, to the the uh, one of the institutions that uh, exemplifies this new revolution is actually one of the most um, uh, manipulative and and undemocratic, and that's Facebook. You know, people are using Facebook to create all of these horizontal, uh, uh, single level connections, and yet, as we are coming to learn. Um, there's a tremendous amount of manipulation uh, and so on. Uh, it, how, do we, how do we break up Facebook if, if that's, a, if that's a, um, something that we are to do? How do we do what Facebook does, but in a way that does not involve that kind of a top-down imposition?
1: Well, Facebook is a platform. There's Facebook as a platform, Google is a platform, Amazon is a platform, uh, Apple and Microsoft are, are are basically these huge conglomerates, and we need to break them up. We absolutely have to. I, I would say the ideal situation is that we need to take them and bring them to the commons. And I'm not saying the government should run them, but you know there's another model for ownership of companies, and that is the cooperative. And the biggest cooperative, Mondragon, is worth about 35 billion dollars. It's it's really big, and it shows that it can be done. Mondragon Mondragon is owned by employees. It's run by employees. They have a policy that no employee can make less than, I think, one-sixth what the highest paid employee has made. None of this 200 or 300 or 400 times as much income. So I think that, you know, the answer is we need to create cooperatives that are run by employees and by communities. You know, this goes into my whole idea of getting rid of billionaires too. You know, What do you do to keep somebody from becoming a billionaire if their company is worth so much? Well, you, you, you give away ownership of it to, to the people in the company. You give away ownership of it to the community that it evolved out of. You give ownership of it to nature. And how do you give ownership to nature? I think we need to create some kind of a system where there's an advocacy for nature that protects nature, that fights for nature, that that buys land. I mean, uh, my daughter works for a nature conservancy where they they protect. I think it's sixty thousand plus acres of land, and they prevent it from being exploited. But we need to do the same thing with the air and the water and 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 all the resources of nature that we have. We need to do it with animals, and so. If, if you're going to take away, you know, the, when it comes to debillionarizing the planet, which is I think <laughs> what, what we need to do, yeah. uh, you know, I think the first step is you prevent uh, billionaires from leaving billions to their children, and you <clears throat> you want to make sure that doesn't happen. So that's a good way to grab a lot of it right there. But the other thing is, how do you keep somebody from becoming a billionaire? And there, you know, you've you've got to start looking at taxes and you've got to start saying to people, hey, you're going to take your company public. It's going to be worth a lot. You have some – you can have some say in how all that wealth is distributed. Do you want some of it to go to your employees? Do you want some of it to go to the local hospitals? Do you want some of it to go to buy land that goes back to nature? Uh, Let people have some say in it maybe, but – we want to make it. I don't believe anybody needs a billion dollars. I don't think anybody needs a two hundred million dollar house or a four hundred million dollar yacht or a okay, hundred fifty million dollar
2: painting. let's hold it right there because we're about to take a little break. We'll be back with Rob Call. We're going to be talking about the bottom up revolution, and uh, this is Steve Bannon on Wiki Politics. Back after these messages.
3: connecting you with the best of the conscious minds in the world Om Times Radio iom fm Om Times magazine is one of the leading online content providers of positivity wellness and personal empowerment a philanthropic organization Their net proceeds are funneled to support worldwide charity initiatives via Humanity Healing International. Through their commitment to creating community and providing conscious content, they aspire to uplift humanity on a global scale. OM Times, co-creating a more conscious lifestyle.
2: More than 24 million Americans have an autoimmune disorder, and that number continues to grow. I'm Sharon Saylor, and I'm one of those 24 million. To put that number in perspective, cancer affects about 9 million and heart disease up to 22 million. That's why I've brought together top experts and those thriving regardless of their diagnosis to bring you the latest, most up-to-date information. Join me, Sharon Saylor, Friday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, for the Autoimmune Hour on Life Interrupted Radio to find out how to live your life uninterrupted.
3: Are you done with the daily barrage of negativity? Ready for some positivity? Creations Magazine has been inspiring the soul for over 30 years, delivering thought-provoking and solution-driven articles, essays, and poetry that inspire you to enjoy a vibrant life, holistic health, personal and spiritual growth, relationships, the environment, and so much more. Read us online or order a subscription, creationsmagazine.com.
1: What is your emergency? My kid shot him. Don't. All right, where's the wound, sir? 911, what's your emergency? Please, help. My, my son shot his, his brother. 911, what is your emergency? 911, please
3: state your emergency. Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns.
1: It wasn't locked. It wasn't locked.
3: Learn how to make your home safer at endfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and End Family Fire.
2: Well, hi. We're back with our guest, Rob Call, talking about the bottom-up revolution. I like the idea of bringing some of these huge companies like Facebook into the commons. Our, our colleague uh, Ellen Brown, who is uh, part of these, sparked the uh, public banking movement. Uh, I don't think this is a tongue-in-cheek uh, idea. She has. She says we should uh, we should make Amazon a public utility, and perhaps these things that are monopolies that everybody uses uh, need to be more uh, brought more into the commons, either through public participation or, as you suggested, Rob, um, uh, worker ownership. Um, Let's get back to how you got started doing this. You've had a varied career as an inventor, master of biofeedback, journalist. How how did your work unfold and lead to um, this meme, this idea of bottom up, and how to how, and uh, writing this book?
1: Well. Now, I spent a lot of years working in the field of biofeedback in different ways, uh, as an inventor, as a software developer, as a conference organizer, and I kind of saw myself as helping to wake people up to provide technology and approaches to help empower them to 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 to, to basically to have more of the use more of the powers that they possess within them. And uh, then I started blogging with opednews.com and I, I realized that this was a way to, to reach a lot more people. With biofeedback, you're doing it one person at a time, or I was running a conference with a, a few hundred people in attendance, and that was very gratifying. I actually started with a, a brain biofeedback conference, and then I ran one one optimal functioning and positive psychology, which I didn't realize until afterwards was the first positive psychology conference I've ever held. And then I did one on the art, science, and application of story. But the blog started taking off. And I realized that the more bottom-up an approach I took to the blog, the more I started giving power to the users, the more I started getting all the users, all all of the different stakeholders involved in making decisions on policy, the better it did. And it just took off. So, at one point, it's seen as many as 800,000-plus unique visitors a month. to put it on equal equal standing with some major city newspapers, mm-hmm. and I, I I got curious. What is bottom up? And so I just I was doing a radio show, and I decided I'd start doing a bottom up radio show, interviewing people with a take on bottom up, and I would start interviewing people who could give me different thoughts about it. And I, I got lucky early on. I, I, I had amazing guests I, I, and amazing interviews. I got to interview Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter, and Arianna Huffington. I had Bernie Sanders on a couple times, and Craig Newmark from Craigslist. And I, I started looking for neuropsychologists and neuroscientists and anthropologists and uh, physicists even scientists, and uh, what happened was my idea of what bottom-up was kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It got really exciting for me. And, uh, that has been an interesting ride.
2: Yeah, it's interesting how one thing leads to another, and, uh, and then all of a sudden you begin to see a pattern. Um, I, I've read your book, and uh it's it's pretty amazing how many people you got to interview in so many diverse fields, uh, and how you've actually coalesced this into recognizing that each of them in their own way is talking about this uh we we would call it a we distribution of power, w e, rather than uh, the the small they. And and I think that that's probably what's going to facilitate the de the de-billionarization of uh, of our of our society. Um, of all the things that you've uh, of all the areas and applications of bottom up, which do you find the most promising for our immediate situation for where we are right now? Um, right now, we seem to be at a place where we have, we've got. Two completely contradictory uh, left and right narratives—not just of politics, but of reality—we're uh, in uh, in the midst of multiple um, crises, from the uh, what scientists are calling the sixth great extinction, uh, to our our current political crisis and an economic system that um, just seems to be. Uh, working for fewer and fewer people. Um, what is the, What do you see in the bottom up um, domain that might be a trim tab to uh, turn the ship around?
1: Well, one of the, the conversations, one of the discoveries that I had uh, was based on reading a book and then doing a couple interviews with Fritjof Kaplan who wrote, uh, he's written a lot of books over the years. He wrote The Tao of Physics and but the one that he wrote that really just woke me up to new ways of thinking was the system's view of life. And basically, bottom-up has changed the way we look at all kinds of things. We, we used to have top-down history. Now we have bottom-up history. That is what is the co- most popular kind of history taught in the United States anymore. And, and there was top-down science and now we have bottom-up science. And top-down science was the the kind that Newton and Descartes had.
0: Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for
2: details.
1: Where they would count things and measure things and look at things as like a machine that you would take apart and understand and control the machine. And that worked for science for many years. Many centuries, really but it didn't work for quantum physics, it didn't work for subatomic particle physics, and it didn't work for for ecosystems, for complex ecosystems. They had to develop new approaches to science, and what they came up with with, was a collection of of systems theory and chaos theory and nonlinear dynamics, and the basic ideas there are, instead of looking at parts and counting things, and taking things apart. You look at relationships and you look at patterns and you look at cycles. And what really got me excited is that it, when you look at things that way and you're not counting them and you're looking at what, one of the aspects of systems theory is there's this concept of emergence. There's d- these different cycles and a and, and new cycle can emerge. And all of a sudden, everything can change very, very quickly. And that to me is a very hopeful thing. This is the way nature works. It's the way the most complex ecosystems work. And what it means is that things can change really, really fast. You don't have to have 50% plus one to get a major change to happen. And you don't have to wait 50 years for it to happen. It can happen almost overnight. And and I find that very exciting. Uh, part of this model of science looks at chaos, and they literally gave a Nobel Prize to Ilya Prigogine for his work with chemistry, where he found that if they had chaotic chemical interactions or reactions, After the reaction, there were higher levels of order. I learned that over 30 years ago, and it's been a precept in my life that out of chaos can come higher levels of order. So if you're going through chaos, know that it's a good chance that when it's over, you're going to be in a better place. There's going to be a higher level of order.
2: You know, it's so Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I had a thought there, but go ahead.
1: Go ahead.
2: No go. Go. Okay. You know, if you've seen uh, the uh, the videos of cymatics, where uh, you're you're looking at, for example, um, uh, let's say you have a a speaker, uh, uh, a a amplifier and speaker, and there's a tone that's being played through the speaker, and you put uh, dust or iron filings on that speaker, you see that when there is a specific tone. there is essentially a yantra, there is essentially a, um, a mandala-type pattern, a sacred geomet- geometrical pattern that comes from that particular tone. When you uh, When you turn it to a higher frequency, the pattern becomes much more complex and more beautiful. But while it is moving from one frequency to another, while you're turning the tuner, uh, it appears to be in chaos in between these new forms of order. So uh, the patterns of the universe uh, seem to be rather consistent. So if it works at that level, it's going to work at the level of our of our human existence. Where right now we're in a organ our organizing principle, which you point out in your book, is a top down organizing principle. And we are in the process of evolving, uh, you believe, and I, I agree, to a more um a more bottom up emergent of a more elegant pattern of of connection. And uh or as um uh Churchill said, if you find yourself in hell, keep going. <laughs> so <laughs> we, we we're hoping to keep going to 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 find um uh, an emergent system that's more that's more elegant than the one that it replaced. Um, from your uh, from your interviews and, and research and so on, does an example come to mind of how a system, a smaller system of some kind, uh, was able to reorganize itself through something that emerged?
1: Hmm. Well I mean in my book, I talk about the hero's journey. I, I think that stories are a really important part of who we are. We define ourselves by our stories. And uh, I think the hero's journey is an example of how everybody goes through this kind of an approach. Uh, with the hero's journey, something unsettles your world. And uh, it could be a good thing like a job offer or could it could be a bad thing like you find out you have cancer or your spouse is leaving you. Uh, but it sets you on a journey. And you have to accept the fact that, that things have changed and you're going to have to do things differently. And you have to cross a threshold and usually you do that with the help of other people like uh, like mentors and, and there are also people there or threshold guardians to scare you from actually making the decision to take those steps. And then you start on this journey. and. What's bottom up about the hero's journey is that the way that you become a new person, which is what the hero's journey is all about, the way you become a stronger person is – by connecting with new people or by re-establishing the relationships you have with the people you already know, by building new connections and new skills, even by re-establishing your relationship to your masculinity and your femininity and your relationship to God or the higher power. These are all bottom-up things. You don't grow without finding new connections in your life. And connection is incredibly important. That's why I wrote a whole chapter about how to commit, connect better and smarter. Uh, there's a whole uh, science to that that I put together, uh, and I based my model on work that I've done that I presented at the American and Canadian Positive Psychology conferences. Hmm. So now, so, in, in, in,
2: in, I'm ahead. sorry. In, in looking and looking at all of that. Um, how do you, it seems to me that um, when you're living a life that you've lived before, if, you, you're, if, if you're doing what you've done before, even if that's been successful, there is a top down aspect to that because there is a, a structure that already exists that you fit into. And now when that structure is disrupted, somehow you have to find from, from all of these pieces. You have to piece together uh, a new structure, and you can't do it from the top down. <laughs> we're finding that it actually has to emerge from the surprising things that happen that happen in your life. So, I'm curious as to how this has impacted your own life. We're gonna, break, we're gonna have to take a break in about a minute, but why don't you get started, and we'll continue after the break.
1: Well, I I, I love the, the the thinking of Paulo Friari who who wrote the pedagogy of the oppressed. The oppressed often don't know they're oppressed. And the first thing you have to do is wake up to the fact that you are oppressed, that you're in a situation where you're being controlled or dominated. And then you can take steps to start taking control of your life and and standing up to the oppression. And it ends up that oppressors are also victims as well and but they don't have any ability to change things only the oppressed can change things and, and 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 all of us are oppressed all of us have been colonized by by what originally was colonization of native americans and and indigenous people but the, the, the system that we have now has colonized so many of us, in, all, almost all of us in so many ways. And so we have to decolonize and we have to start waking up and standing up and it doesn't mean fighting the system directly, that that's not gonna work. We have to replace the system. And I believe that the bottom up thinking that I'm proposing in my book provides an alternative value system that gives a way for us to do it so that we can take care of each other and start creating a new system that is better and smarter and stronger that can replace what we have.
2: Excellent, Rob. We'll be back after this break and we'll talk more about what the hopeful signs are. We're talking with Rob Call, author of The Bottom-Up Revolution.
3: Free your mind with Ohm Times Radio, IOM FM.
0: Ascending Hearts is no ordinary dating site, but a spiritual dating site with a purpose, to link you with your soulmate. We engineer the serendipity so you can trust that you will attune with someone that has the same matching vibration as you. Ascending Hearts, the conscious dating site for the spiritually aware. Try Ascending Hearts for free, ascendinghearts.com. Hello, I'm Lisa Barry. Join me every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time for Light on Living, a chance to see new, hear different, and feel more as I shine the spotlight on all the ways to lighten the load of life's challenges. Light on Living is your link to that new way you're looking for, that new understanding that will enhance your life, and that positive connection that will support your
1: growth. So join me, and you'll gain insight and start to see things in a new way that motivates you.
3: The Shift Network presenting transformative programs and events to help you waken to your full potential so that together we can build the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible. Our classes support you in finding and cultivating your gifts and in bringing those gifts to the world to create tangible change and connect us as global citizens. Go to theshiftnetwork.com or follow the link on the WikiPolitiki sponsors page.
2: Okay, we're back with our guest, Rob right. Paul. We're, talk- we're talking about the top, the bottom-up revolution, and um, I just wanted to get a little bit, a little bit more about how this has impacted your own, your own life and your own work. You've been exposed to this for several years, and you've interviewed brilliant um brilliant people I particularly love the the copra piece because I've been working with Bruce Lipton for a number of years and you know we've we've pointed out the uh, the limitations of reductionist science that uh, is only looking at, at this uh, uh, this top-down structures and uh, so it's heightening that uh, everything else in nature seems to be working in our favor in your own life how have you now, how has this made a difference
1: okay so i uh, my my by the way my book you can find out more about it at robcall.com r o b k a l l.com i my my hope for for my book is that people start seeing through bottom up eyes start seeing it with more connection to each other, more connection to nature. Start seeing the possibilities for helping each other. Start seeing with more compassion and kindness and empathy. And start seeing that you can share power. And I I was challenged in in running my website. I I try to run it with a bottom-up approach. And what I found was that some of the volunteers who I recruited to be uh, uh higher level editors managing editors with me they had a hard time with that they would say well you make it you make an edict and i would say mm-hmm. N- no we need to ask our users what they think is the right thing to do and i i would do that and i think that's happening with more and more businesses. There's a new model, a non-hierarchical model of management. Uh, there's a new way of managing that starts thinking about WeQ, not IQ, WeQ, <laughs> that, that, that starts thinking about not only how – the business is affected in terms of profits, but how it affects the employees, the community, all the stakeholders, the suppliers, everybody. And if you start looking at that bigger ecosystem picture of all the things that you're connected with, all the people, all the all the different aspects of your community and nature, I think it changes things. I, I, I've learned that there is a huge amount to learn from indigenous people and their relationship with nature and with each other. And I think that's a really big deal. And I think that it should be taught in, in school too. We need to start thinking in more indigenous ways. They are closer to the bottom up way of living and thinking than people who are in Western civilization are. And what's wonderful, I think, is that we have all these hundreds of bottom-up genes that have been repressed. And I think that they're starting to come back. And most of them are soft stuff. It's not like hard technology stuff. It's about compassion. It's about sensitivity to others. It's 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 awareness of, of, of and thinking about you know the Native Americans they have a saying make a decision based on how it affects the next seven generations. I I I think all of this stuff is wonderful. I, I just had a guest on who's an who's an activist who is a community organizer, and he's going out into the field. He's got a hundred people going out in the field having conversations with people in rural America, and they're not judging. They're listening. They're they're holding back from saying, Yeah, I disagree with you. They're just listening. And I think listening and connecting and finding ways to connect is such a valuable, important thing to do. And their connection, there's, there's so much to the ways to connect. That's why I did this whole chapter on it. Uh, and I, I think that's one thing. Another thing that I learned over the years uh, – I got into positive psychology because I became fascinated with the heartwarming experience, what touches, what gives you that glow in your heart. And uh, from that, I developed a model I call the anatomy of positive experience, which is a very bottom up idea. The idea is that your positive experiences are your basic building blocks for your capacity to be happy, to be in loving relationships, to face challenges, and to face adversity, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. That's perfect, exactly. And they're building blocks, meaning that you're, that, that already in itself is, uh, is a bottom up approach.
1: And what I learned by doing workshops at national conferences and at companies and what have you is that most people's positive experiences are with other people. Again, mm-hmm. that's. That's bottom-up. You, you have positive experience when, when you connect with other people in different ways. Or some of them are when you do kind, well, even that, you're doing kind things for other people where you get your life more organized. Like cleaning out a drawer that's been a mess for 10 years is a positive experience. <laughs> Getting through a divorce and it's over is a positive experience. You know, a lot, a lot of positive experiences are recovering from negative experiences. But, You know, so I put in the book the anatomy of positive experience and the steps and the stages was uh, what I discovered, and this is what I presented at these peer-reviewed talks at the positive psychology conferences, is that there are things to do to plan, to prepare, to anticipate, to recognize and identify opportunities for positive experiences, to make them more and better, stronger, deeper more meaningful, and then how to use the positive experiences in your life to, to, so they have a bigger effect on you. Because really, if you think about it, you work to have positive experiences. You work to make a living so you can go on vacations, to take good care of your family, to do good things for yourself. It's all about having positive experiences. And, and, of course, a lot of positive experiences are meaningful ones. the are ones based on compassion and caring. But when it comes down to it, positive experiences are the most valuable things we have. And they're bottom up.
2: And usually people find them with other people, as you said, and or in nature, in nature and so on. And those are both uh, the kinds of things that. Uh, you're interacting with life at the level of life, rather than at the level of uh, some kind of imposition uh, or structure. It's being it's being done literally on the ground as as you uh, as you proceed. Now, I'm thinking of something that happened to me several years ago. I was supposed to give a uh, a workshop to a youth group, uh, a Unitarian youth group, at a retreat. Uh, teenagers and I hadn't worked with teenagers in a while and I was supposed to be on evolution and I was getting really stuck on what I was going to present and I finally got an idea and uh, it was a two-hour class and so I began by saying you know what Um, I'm talking to you about evolution in the future and yet you're the ones who are going to be living in it and so I spent the first 45 minutes or an hour listening to them just listening. Yeah, I let them, gave them the talking stick. And uh, my presentation in the wake of that was, of course, based on all of the information uh, about what was important to them. So I got to be relevant immediately, um, because I had them, first of all, listen to themselves. And, and again, you know, we've, we've lived in, in, in a world where we imagine that, you know uh there's a bunch of there's a, a limited number of really great entertainers and uh, and elites and so on and uh we all need to go to the movies and watch them or go to a concert and listen to them and so on and yet we have this tremendous opportunity now where anybody can uh, create music can write a book etc etc and these bottom-up experiences, really, as you said early in the interview, they can reinitiate the front porch dimension of life where we actually begin to create our own entertainment, tell our own stories, and have it be uh, instead of broadcast, perhaps narrow cast, to uh, a smaller number of um, close friends and close colleagues.
1: You know, another thing I learned about bottom up was the bottom up brain functioning and top down brain functioning. It turns out that that our brains are mostly top down. Our mm. brains, uh, ninety eight ninety-five, ninety-eight percent of our brains are involved in filtering what raw information comes into us, and a lot of that happens pre consciously before we're even aware of it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So. Whatever we see, we're seeing it through the filters of our past experience. Again, this is where positive experiences play an important role, of course. But the thing is, we want to have some openness to new ways of seeing. So some of us, it might be 99.5% of our experience is top-down and filtered through the stories that we've been given, filtered through the perspectives that we were taught. And if we can open up our eyes a bit and, and, and hold back a little bit on that filtering, it can give us some raw material to work with. If we can be aware that we're filtering and taking that top-down approach, it can open us up. Now, you can do it too much. Sometimes people with ADD are distracted. They, they, they just, they can't keep everything filtered enough. And so there can be a problem with that, too. Or But but I think that we we want to be able to open our eyes and see with as much flexibility and to see as much possibility as possible. One of the things that I hope that the my book and this, con- this conversation does is open people up to see where there are top-down things going on. Top-down, it tends to be secretive, it tends to be controlling, control over rather than, than uh, or power over rather than power with. And I think, you know, I, I give dozens of examples of different kinds of top-down versus bottom-up ways of seeing and doing and cooperating. And if you can start seeing bottom-up possibilities and if you can start connecting more, I think those are some of the most important things that that I'd like to see people end up doing. Uh, One thing, get out in nature every day, touch a tree, pick up a, a blade of grass, just connect with it, look up into the sky and see the clouds like you did when you were a little kid. And those things will wake up parts of you that maybe haven't been awake for a long time or maybe never were, but start doing it and start doing it on a regular basis. And all you have to do is do it for 30 seconds. And if you can do it for longer, great. But all you have to do is step outdoors Get into nature. It's such an important thing to do. We are so stuck in our interior worlds. It's really important that we get out of them.
2: Now that's really, really important. And I, I find that uh, that uh, being in nature is what I—that's my nourishment. If I if I do it every day, I I feel like there's this infusion of something. That is not part of my life uh, in in my uh, looking at the computer screen or or reading or thinking. As you said, the brain tends to be a a top-down thing. In the few minutes that we have left, um, what do you see on the horizon that is most encouraging to you right now in uh, helping us emerge from – the uh, failed systems that we have, uh, the obsolete, and I like to use the word obsoletal, because some of it's deadly. Um, what is it uh, that you've read and seen uh, in your in your research? that you go, this really is a promising avenue for the kinds of change that we need to make.
1: It's about power. We all have so much more power than generations before us had. And we can use that power in ways to take back our culture, take back humanity, take, take civilization to the next step. Now, I, I've come to believe that we, we move in kind of waves or, or spirals. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say we're spiraling back to a bottom-up humanity that is civilized, but like we were before civilization. And I think that we can take ourselves to a level of humanity that is as good as we were before, but better. Empowered by technology, but also empowered by the compassion and empathy and, and interdependent cooperation that humans evolved over millions of years to have. Uh, we need to get rid of, you know, one of the problems that, that, that civilization brought us was giving narcissists and psychopaths too much power, and we need to stop that from happening. We've got to start caring about everybody, and when people don't and they treat people badly, they have to be reined in. And so I think that all of those things can add up to us having a kinder, more compassionate, more caring world, and that's what Bottom Ups is really about, where, where we all share in the power, too.
2: Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Your perfect wrap up, Rob. Rob Call talking about his new book, Bottom Up Revolution. Go to my website, wikiPolitics.com, and by this show you can. Uh, there's a link to robcall.com and how you can read more about the book. This is Steve Behrman. We'll be back again next week with Wiki Politics.